How's it going, everybody, and welcome back to the Jay's Banter Podcast. Tonight, I am your host, Mo, filling in for Rob, who is taking a rest day today, just like the Jays, who are taking a rest day, a very much-needed rest day, if you could. We'll get into all that moving forward. And I'm always, as here, joined by James from TO Sports Tech. James, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing pretty good, Mo. I mean, honestly, a day off from baseball. I think we all kind of need it at this point, especially where this team's been playing. Uh, as of late, but um, yeah, not not too bad. Yeah, man, and I don't even know the last time we did a podcast together, just me and you. I think it was our very first one, but other than that, we always got Rob to really be the glue when we need so. He's the best host in the biz, as we say. Mr. Rob, we do miss you here tonight, but we have more important things to do, you know, cover the Jays. We can't all take rest days, but um, the last time we did talk was last week at the Angels series. The Jays did play six games in which they had, I believe the Yankee series was at home, and they won, I believe, two out of three. And that's been a talking point this year. The Jays have yet to win a series other than beating the Yankees, and the Yankees have been god-awful this season. So, James, Jays beat the Yankees two to three, and then they go off to KC where we thought, hey, man, we got to win this series. We got to at least split it after that doubleheader, and then we end up losing. What do you make out of that KC series? And you can, if you want, you can touch on the Yankee series and what you like from there as well. Well, the KC series was kind of a mix of everything. You know, you, you saw some good things, especially in that, uh, the first game of the doubleheader. You got the offense, the early offense, and, and great pitching performances from Do- I mean, Dolis came out in the seventh, and, and Mats was lights out. You know, you got, you got a perfect game, basically, uh, from the Blue Jays there. But in every other game, it was either the starting pitcher didn't give you enough, your offense wasn't going because, damn, in that finale yesterday, God, whew, total. I think they had two hits in the game. Yeah, two hits. You know, and that's over a nine-inning game. Like, it was just not pretty at all it, offensively the entire series. Yeah, they had that comeback in, in game one. But when, you know, before, like, the fifth inning or whatever it was, it, the odds of you coming back were very slim. They made it a good, they made it a good punch, but it was too little. I think the Blue Jays, my key to the Blue Jays' success at all is early offense. Because with this pitching staff, if you're continuously throwing them out there in, in close ball games and 0-0 games in each and every inning, they're bound to break. As much as we've seen Steven Matz has been unbelievable and Ryu's been great, after that it's been kind of hit or miss. And they got to get that offense early. They get a run in the second or an early run in the first or two or three or four runs in the first or, you know, that, that amount in, in the second or third inning as well. It gives that starting pitcher that sigh of relief a little bit. Look what happened with Steven Matz. And the Blue Jays gave him an early lead. I think it was a 2 nothing lead off the Guriel double. Yeah, two spot. And, and, you know, he cruised after that. He got the early lead, and he just cruised on from there. But the Blue Jays, the rest of the series, didn't get any early offense. They didn't help. They didn't get any good pitching, at least in the first game. My my thing is early offense and your starters need to give you a couple scoreless innings to start off a ball game just to give your offense time to get into the flow of things if they're not clicking right away. But these, you know, four nothing deficits after two, you just you can't allow that to happen. Yeah, for sure. And other than the 15 to one Blue Jays win just before this, uh, this the rain delay that got canceled in the last game of the series, the Jays have played in games of three one seven three. And five four, so they've been pretty close games, man. And they, especially with guys like Dolis closing it out, you know, it takes every single one breath away from you, and you're always at the tip of your seat watching these games. So it is once in a while to watch these nice games. But yesterday we saw um, some questionable decisions late in the game by Charlie Montoya, of course, bringing T.J. Zoic. Obviously, there could be a discussion that this could all have been changed if Dolis wasn't brought out in that first game. Matt, you would let Matt finish it out in a seven inning game, and. That's really a no-brainer to me to let Matt finish it out because I think Rob mentioned this in the group chat that he's only allowed three earned runs. So I think his, what was the lead at that point? Was it yeah, like a four-run lead at that point? So the yeah. chances of Matt's giving up four runs, even if his command's not there, he's tired, is I'll take that over maybe bringing in Dolis, you know, because he kind of made it a little interesting in the ninth. Obviously got a double play out of it. Nonetheless, it was a pretty stressful game, and then yesterday was a pretty much laughing stock in the sense of the Jays couldn't really get much going, and Charlie Montoya on, on the radio and his Zoom calls have said that hitting is contagious, so once a guy gets going, 
um, than the other guys click. And we've seen that before, but right now, Bo, he's been really good sometimes, but then he's had his lows as well. He's been pretty inconsistent. He has 17 strikeouts, which is tied for 12 in the MLB. So he has struck out quite a bit. So we'll touch on that. But James, runners in scoring, scoring position, the Jays land. Jays rank second last in AL in runners in scoring position. They hit 238 as a team in average overall, which is in the middle of the pack. What do you make, about, what do you make out of the Blue Jays' offensive struggles so, much, so, so far? Because coming into the season, that was the cream of the crop. That was our strong point. And now to see that, hey, man, the, the offense is kind of stuttering a little bit. Is that kind of concerning to you? A little bit. I mean, it's thir- was it 13? Uh 16 games in? What are they? 7 and 9? So 16 games in? Yeah, 16. Right. I mean, it is 162. And, and you know, with, with it being so early on, the Blue Jays could have a you know great two games against the Red Sox. And let's say they go 8 for 16 with runners in scoring position. Instantly, they could, they, they could be middle of the pack in, in the MLB and runners in scoring position. So, so it's, it's so early to tell. But as you mentioned, you know, coming into this year, the offense was, was the key to – Victory, right? We all knew the pitching staff was light. We thought the bullpen was going down with an injury. Um, but the, the offense has to be good for this team to be to be any good, really. Uh, you cannot trust the, the rotation enough. You can trust Ryu. It looks like you can trust Steven Matz enough. But after that, it's a complete gong show. And you need your offense to come up clutch. And that's the key thing, right? For this team to take that next step and to be one of the better teams in baseball, right? We look at on paper is great. Making the playoffs last year was great, but you got to be able to hit in clutch situations. You have to be able to hit with runners in scoring position. And if the Jays want to go anywhere this season, that number has to get better. And it's not even just, you know, hitting with runners in scoring position. It's just better at bats. Like, I swear they go up there with a guy in scoring position and they just want to do way too much damage. And they just got to simplify the, you know, if, if he's got second, nobody out. All right, we'll try and get the ball to the right side of the field, whether it's the second base, first base, or right ball there, move the guy over, and then, hell, if you need a sack fly to get a guy in, so be it. Scratch out a run. Those runs may not show up on the highlight reels, but damn, those are nice to watch, right? So... This team's just got to find a way to get some knocks with runners in scoring position. And you mentioned hitting contagious. Well, when Bo and Vladdy were ripping the cover off the ball, I mean, who else was ripping the cover off the ball? I wouldn't say many other guys were. Rowdy started to hit a little bit, but I wouldn't say anybody, you know, really started to hit. Uh, they, they haven't really hit their stride yet. And considering that, you know, with, with all the, the, the injuries they've had and the inconsistent bats, and as you mentioned, 28th in the league and runners in scoring position, they're 7-9? and nine? Like, it we got to take a step back and realize that that's actually not as bad as adversity this team has dealt with early in the year and that they have not been good at all with runners scoring position. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it does suck. Like Michael Wilner always says, it's early, and I do agree with that. It does suck when there's just certain players on the team that you, they're instant mm-hmm. rally killers. We look at Marcus Simeon and Danny <laughs> Chance right now. Even Alejandro Kirk's not giving you much out of that back of catcher spot right now. Same with Lourdes Gurriel Jr. The thing to look forward to is Marcus um, George Springer's um, um, debut, his Jays debut, and then Teoscar Hernandez also coming back, and they're probable for the race series starting off Friday. That could give an instant boost to the offense, and obviously, like you said, James, 7-9 isn't all too bad for all the injuries we've sustained. Our bullpen has been pretty depleted, and outside of, say, from maybe... Mats, Ryu, and that one start from Ray. Yesterday was pretty good. He got out of it, but it was an ugly start from Ray for sure. You're not really getting much out of the rotation either. You know, Anthony K's spot start wasn't too strong. EJ Zoic has not been good at all. And then Tanner Rohr, you know the story there. No. So <laughs> we're not going to talk about him in this podcast. We, we want to have a good day today. But we're going to talk about a positive, and that's Vladdy Guerrero Jr. Obviously, Rob, who's not here, his number one fanboy. <laughs> has been pleading his case ever since last year to me. Obviously, I never gave up. Obviously, I was a little bit underwhelmed with his performances. I don't know if you can agree to that, James, in his first two seasons with the Jays, his half season last year. But he said this year he put in the work. He came this year, and he wanted to prove a point. He wanted to be with the big guys. He wanted to be with the Sotos of the world, the Cunias, and he just wanted to rake. He's coming in you here. Think about it this way. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I thought you were done. 
No. Uh, so uh, he's coming in here with some vengeance. He wants to. He leaned up. He got some new batter stance, putting his hands more lower to him. Got a new approach at the play, and his numbers show for it. In 54 at bats, he's hitting 389, four dingers, 11 RBIs, and an OPS of 174. And he's looked great out there, James. Obviously, in his last seven games, he's 10 for 25. Obviously, not striking out too much. Obviously, he's looking at. He look. He's the only J right now that I trust that when he comes up to the uh, up to the play, he's gonna give us a good at bat. And just if he does get out, it's gonna be either a loud out or just gonna get unlucky. So, what do you make out of Vladdy Guerrero's Jr.'s resurgence this year, if I may say? And how big do you think it's gonna be for the Jays to maybe even have a possible MVP on their team this season, Vladdy? Well, I think we talk, we all mentioned it in our in our in our preseason stuff, or our predictions and whatnot, that he was gonna be that X factor. He was going to be that guy that, hey, if this team wants to go that next level, he's got to be Vladdy. And, and look, I know Rob was, was, was hyping him up all last season, and rightfully so because of, of the hype that he had behind him. So you got to keep that hype going until it's actually dead. When I, when I look at from, from what we saw from Vladdy this offseason, he, he went from a guy who has played through the minor leagues, never struggled, has never faced a pitcher that can dominate him. And he gets to the big leagues, and instantly pitchers are dominating him. And he's not used to this. And he's, he, tried, he, he tried to adjust on the fly, right? And, and clearly work over the first, what, year and a half? Or I guess you combine it, like, just over a full year. Or I don't even know if he played a full, he played a full year coming into the season. But um, the, the way he went into the offseason, the mentality, right? He went into the offseason with the mentality of, hey, I'm going to get better. I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to get leaner, and I'm going to be a better ball player. And we are seeing that. Not only does he look more nimble out in the field, he looks and he's acting like a ball player. You know, he's not acting like the guy who come, who comes up here wants to swing swinging for the fences or swinging out his rear end all the time, just chasing bad pitches. He's going up there with a, a his approach at the plate is is a mile different than last season, and I think the biggest reason why Vladdy is turning things around. He's making pitchers come into the zone. And when they're coming into the zone, he's just barreling it up. And it's it's beautiful to watch. And I, I truly believe this is the Vladi Guerrero we are going to see for the rest of his career. The fact that he has changed his mentality, his work ethic, his all-out play is just uh, is fantastic this year. All right, yeah, James, I agree with you fully right there. Um, You know, sometimes I like to watch the away feed for the broadcast because, you know, everybody knows mm-hmm. I'm not the biggest Buck Martinez fan or even Pat Tabler. I thought you watching the KC Royals broadcast this past weekend for a few games. Hey, all of them have been praising Vladdy so far. They say his dad, unlike his dad, he doesn't really chase outside the zone. And he's just very a poised hitter. He gives you a good count at the plate. And I just feel like, like you said, James, he's he came as advertised, and this is the Vladdy that expect to see, and he's going to be a franchise player for the team. You know, he's definitely going to be asking for the big bucks after the season, maybe possibly an extension as well, but rightfully so, he's going to deserve that. And, Think one thing you didn't mention is defense at first has been pretty good mm-hmm. picking it. I know Kevin Beecher doesn't give him the best throws from third base, and he's been picking it really good. And he's he's getting those snags up. Um, there was this one play thing in New York where he got he got up there with the hops and snagged yeah. all out the air. So he's been pr- looking pretty good. So let's just hope he keeps it up and maybe he'll make his first All Star appearance. I believe he was in the home run derby in 2019, but didn't make the All Star game. So hopefully this is the year we're in Colorado. He possibly could make the home run derby. That would be a treat to watch as well. But all signs are positive towards Vladdy, and we're on the Vladdy hype train, and you guys should be invested in that stock as well. Well, if there was one thing that I was going to knock Vladdy on, because, you know, no one's perfect, but if there was one thing that I was going to get on Vladdy about, and it scares me at times because it's an, in, it's an injury waiting to happen, I feel like on the most simple of ground balls, he stretches way too far. Like, I love the yeah. guy. I love when he's picking it. and He's making it look good, almost doing the splits. Doing... But on a routine grounder where the guy's out by 20 feet, like, you don't need to stretch. Just just chill out a bit. You, we don't want you to get hurt or anything because this year has already been like that. If there's any knock on Vladdy, that is the one thing that I could find. But it is so minuscule. Yeah, I feel like he stretches his legs more than his glove out there. Come on, man. Yeah, yeah. Get your glove out there. Put it... Stretch as far as you can, but yeah, I agree with you there. So we'll be switching focus onto some less positive things, but still positive. Uh, Rowdy Tellez had a very bad start to his year. I believe he was, what, 0 for 23, 0 for 22, somewhere along there. Uh, but now he's 
now he's gotten up in his last 15, uh, last seven games, he's 8 for 28. And now he's up to 182 with a home run and two RBIs. I think for the doubleheader, he went 0 for 4. Before that, he was hitting up to 200. So from a guy who was at 0, now 200, that's pretty impressive. So we knew Rowdy wasn't wasn't bad enough to not be able to hit. He's hit in his minor league mm-hmm. career. He hit last year he, in 2018. Maybe the odd year curse came out this year because he didn't really hit well in 2019. But we know uh, we know Rowdy was too good of a hitter to not be able to hit. So what do you make out of Rowdy bouncing back from his rough start? And do you think he has cemented himself into having an everyday role now? Oh, I think – look. We talked about it on the last podcast. I think we all, I think we all agreed on it. I don't know if it was a fan question or or what. We 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 brought it up and said, you know, I think the question was something along the lines of, uh, you know, should they bench him or something along those lines? And we were all like, no, like yeah, he's over twenty three, but all this guy needs is one hit, and the floodgates will open, and that is exactly what happened. He had a he had a, like a four or five game hit streak at one point. You know, he was just barreling up ball after ball, and then he hit a ball the other way. And that's when you know a guy is on, when he's starting to take the ball the other way, especially a guy like Rowdy who pulls a lot. When he's starting to go the other way, he looks real, real good. And I think he deserves the everyday spot right now, especially with guys like Teoscar Hernandez and George Springer still on the shelf. I think you've got to get that bat in, especially the lefty bat, because obviously the Blue Jays lineup is, is very right-handed heavy. And, and Kevin Biggio, who has been really, really sluggish this season for the most part, um, but the quick thing about Biggio, and I, I want to get your take on this. And I wanted to bring this up at some point, whether it was live or it was on the podcast. With Biggio, I swear, on the left side of the field, he looks awful. But on the right side, he looks amazing, whether it's second base or right field. Remember that stint he had a couple of years back where they gave him that yeah. left field spot, and he yeah. was abysmal, and that didn't last more than five minutes. Now he's at third, and we, we all see the, the time he's having over there at third base. But you put him at second, you put him at right field, he looks fine. So I don't know what it is. seems like the right side of the field is Biggio's home. Yeah, I think it was the same thing with Gurriel, too, where I think he was yeah. awful at second base and right field. And then he was, yeah. it was ah, he wasn't that good at shortstop either, but left field has been his prime spot. I actually was having a, we're going to have a segment on Biggio a little on, but perfect segue if you ask me right now, we can talk about it right now. Um, I guess I'm not the biggest Biggio fanboy. I mean, you can check the podcast from last year. I was never a hype guy for Biggio. Just like he was average, you know, a guy that kind of walks too much, kind of is very passive. And we've seen that last year he let off. I do believe he should be either leading off for the team right now or hitting maybe eighth or ninth. I think fifth and sixth is way too high for him. Yeah. Because lead off is like, he sets the tone for the lineup. Hitting 171 with two home runs, two RBIs, and striking out a whole lot, I think, it's top 10 in strikeouts in the whole league. Obviously, he doesn't have a very fast swing. I don't know if you noticed that, James, but he gets beat yeah. by those like 95, 96 miles per hour fastballs. And if you're throwing him a curveball in dirt, he's obviously going to chase that now. I don't know why, what it is. But I'm actually going to pose you this question. I'll answer your question. So I do like Bijou in right field. I had a proposal. I it's kind of a it's kind of out of left field if you ask me. Hmm. I just feel like if I don't think I don't think Semyon if he wants to play third, let him play third. I don't think they're gonna move Bo this season. And I think Vladdy is gonna either stay at first. I don't think they'll move him back to third. I said why don't swap Guriel at third base, maybe test him out there, and then put Bijan in right field and change like Palacios or Gritchik to left field. I just feel like we should maybe some run for Guriel in the infield, see what he has over there with his arm. You know, he's been an infielder for his whole career in the in the minors and then in Cuba, I believe. So we have something with their him over there. And I just feel like Biggio could be like that prototypical kind of Ben Zobris guy playing in the outfield. You know, he'll get it done, nothing too flashy, but he won't be abysmal in the outfields. But so I do like that for you, James. Like he could play right field, but right now the third base is a question mark. Personally, I believe that our third baseman isn't here yet, so I'll let you answer this right now. Do you think, um, I know we're looking ahead right now, so I'm, we're going to continue the BJ talk for one more segment, but right now, do you think the Jays have a set-in-stone third baseman on the team, or potentially should they be looking at, at the trade deadline, hey, maybe we should go and get a rental in Chris Bryant or maybe a Javi Baez? Well, it all depends on the price, and, and I think that's where the Blue Jays' management is, is a little 
Well, we're not quite sure yet. We're not quite sure yet where they're about trading prospects. We know they're about signing players because they dished out the money to Ryu and Springer. But we don't know where this management team is at when it comes to trading their younger players. And with a guy like you said, Baez, like Chris Bryant, like Bryant would be a great player to have on this team right now because obviously third base is kind of that glaring uh, issue right now uh, on the infield. But I, I don't believe that the third baseman of the future for the Blue Jays is on this team right now, whether it's the second half of the season or whether it's you know years down the road. I don't think that person is here right now because no one has stood out to me as a third baseman on this team. We initially thought Vladdy but he now looks a lot more comfortable there at first base, and he's looking a lot better at first, so I think that's his spot now. So that's the case that leaves his spot open at third. Now, does that mean an Austin Martin or a Jordan Groshans slide in there at some point? Maybe. But you got to remember, Groshans now for a couple of years almost. He had that injury early uh, in, in, in the, was it the Lansing season back in 2019, and uh, didn't play all of 2020, obviously. And so he didn't play the rest of 2019. Didn't play 2020, and we're expecting him to be 2021, just about on the cusp of the big leagues. He's not there yet. And for Austin Martin, he got like, what, 15, 20 games into his college season last year before getting drafted, and obviously didn't play in any games last year for the Jays, and he still hasn't played this season. So as much people are hyping those guys up as like, hey, they're ready to go, they're not. They have never touched the minor, or Groshans has barely played the minor leagues. And Martin has never played in the minor leagues. So they're not ready yet. So do I think those guys are, are, are definitely one of the two are, are, are the future third baseman of the Jays? I do. I, I believe that if Groshans can consistently hit, which we've seen in the minor leagues, but we've never seen him really hit at all in spring training. Yeah, he did he not. Has, when, he, when he has been there. Uh, um, but for Austin Martin, I see him more as a center fielder. I, he's, got, he's really fat. He's real quick. And he's smart. And and I think for him to be an outfielder, you gotta you gotta have the brains for that. And I think if he can mold with George Springer, and it's a pretty good mold right there, because when Springer gets into his older older years, into the end of his contract, Martin's gonna slide right in there. That's that's just the way I see it happening. But again, that's obviously years down the road. But as for the right now future, as in this trade deadline, I, look, I, I just. They need to upgrade that third base if they want to make a real push, and that all dep- that all depends on where the Blue Jays sit at the trade deadline. Are they buyers? Are they sellers? Are they you know stay packed because they're kicking everyone's rear, which I can't see happening? I don't know, but I I, I really believe that they're going to add a third baseman by the trade deadline heading into the playoffs. Hey James, so you said a lot of interesting points actually, so yeah. I'll touch on a few. Uh, so Jordan Groshans, like he said. Ever since his injury, he has not been able to hit. I mean, obviously, the minor league season shut down last year didn't help. But in spring training, he looked pretty bad um, this year and last year. So he hasn't struck there. And I think Jays fans are very clamored with the idea of having these young guys come up right away. And it kind of doesn't really work like that because we know the Jays really like to abuse the service time issue. So I don't think they'd be up here, if not anytime sooner than maybe next year, the start of next year. But Martin's a while away, I think so. Oh, yeah. But while I do think they are, uh, the solution for third base is internal, long term. We're gonna need to have a short term stopgap. And here comes Marcus Simeon, who we signed in the off season. While it is early, and Rob said that he does have a slow start. If he doesn't hit, we kind of failed with that. And a lot of people in the group chat and like Jays fans have come to the realization maybe Marcus is maybe only here for one year. Kind of does make sense mm-hmm. to me. I don't think they should throw big money or like long-term money at him next year, especially if he can't produce. But yeah, the Jays, my take is if the Jays can play at least 500 ball up to the deadline, they're going to be um, buyers. I don't think they're in any world they're going to be a sellers. Maybe on the rental guys, maybe Semyon or something like that if they're really out of it. But other than that, I don't think there's any world where the Jays are um, sellers. And just like 2015, 2016, the Jays had slow starts. They picked it up. And they had great runs. So we're just going to transition to our last thing about Biggio. We'll talk about the injuries. We'll hit the mailbag. We'll call it a day. So Biggio, obviously, James, I kind of don't know. Like, I think a lot of Jays fans really act like Biggio is young. But he's 26. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he's like one year younger than Lourdes and one year younger than Teoscar. And the, I think Jays fans get the perception that he's, he's like a rookie. But he's 26. So he's not really that rook. But... In reality, he is having his sophomore slump this year, or is it his third year? Um, 
almost full seasons. But like I said, he's hitting 179, 292, 366 in his first 41 at-bats, all plus having that rough time at third base and then went out with that finger injury. So do you guys think he could benefit from maybe a triple-A stint when the minor league seasons open up? You know, they did this with Lourdes Gurriel Jr. a few years ago in his sophomore slump. They did this with T. Oscar too. And then when they came back, they were red hot. So do you think that it's a good idea to maybe confidence going or maybe just do a full reset with him say hey man we're just going to send you to the minor for a few weeks get your head right then we'll bring you up because we know he's pretty talented but if he's not going to produce on a contending team there's really no spot for him to you know keep on yeah the, the way that i look at kevin Bijou, and it's so hard and you put me at a great point about being 26 years old and uh you know i personally would love to see Cavigio just be Cavigio, and what I mean by that is, look, you don't have to go up there and chase because you got to remember what has he been told this season. He's got to swing more, and he's playing a different position. For a new player, you know, just or for a player going into this into ideal 162 game big league season, you're being told to play a totally different position on the other side of the field than you're used to, the hot corner, which is not never an easy position to play, and everything you've done your entire life about taking pitches, being patient and, and what you're being told, Hey, swing more now. So it's like, it, it's so hard for a guy just to all of a sudden change what he's done his entire life. Now, Vladdy, obviously he's been doing that, but it's all, it's all about adjustments. And you mentioned it, the sophomore slump players in any sport, you know, come up to the major leagues, the, you know, and they and they hit and they go crazy. Look at look at look at Rowdy Telez, right? When he first came up, everyone's he's freaking out. He's he's hitting double after double after double after double, and we're like, oh my god, this guy's insane. And then he hits a wall. The question is, and the, and what we learn from a player is how they bounce back after that, or do they not bounce back from that? That was the thing with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You know, feeling he was going to come up, rake right out of the gate. Teams were going to figure him out, and then he was going to have to adjust. But it was weird. He didn't come up and rake, and he's figured them out. So for Kevin Biggio, he did, he's had a fine young career with the Blue Jays so far. Obviously, yeah, what I would love to love him to be a 250-260 hitter as well as keep the patience that he has. Yeah, but they got to remember, the guy you know, he's never played a full 162-game schedule, and he's being asked a lot right now. So for me, I – I would love Kevin be, for Charlie and the and the guys to say, "Hey, Kevin, go be yourself, and we'll put you in the number nine hole." Because, Mo, answer me this: If you have Kevin Bijou in the number nine hole, right? Let's say he was what he was last year, what three seventy on base and like a two thirty average or whatnot, and that's your number nine hitter. Can you imagine the amount of times that he's going to turn that lineup over and have a guy on base for Springer, Bichette? Guerrero, you don't need him to be the leadoff guy, the number five guy, as you mentioned. I'm okay with him being the number nine hole and hit me 240 with a, with a really high on base because you got the big boys at the top of the lineup. That's my take on Biggio, man. I think they should go back to what he knows best. Yourself, and if they want to put him in right field because Simeon's at second base, fine. But if you want to put Simeon at third, Biggio back at second, put him in a comfortable situation because they asked him to do things this season. And it's backfiring, and I don't blame him because it's it's not easy to change like that. Yeah, you do mention a good point in putting him ninth, and I do believe that is an ideal position for for him. Obviously, ideally, in an ideal world, world, you do want Bijou to hit two forty with like twenty home runs, sixty yeah. RBIs, three fifty or above on base. And right now, I think the pressure's on him. I think the organization failed him by putting him at third base. Obviously, putting him in a position that he's not very comfortable with. Obviously, his arm strength is not very strong. Could have been a simple fix of flipping him with Semyon. I don't know why. I don't know why they didn't put Semyon at a third. I know Semyon's familiar with the left side. Biggio isn't, so that's a head scratcher for me. And they obviously gave. They put a lot of food on his plate in terms of Chigas' approach, and obviously the pressure's on him to contribute. So I think for Biggio, his own sake. He has to go back to the basics. He has to like, go back to what he's been taught his whole career. And just, you know, flat out, just take the pitches, go the opposite way, just play fundamentally sound baseball. And, you know, 
good things are going to happen. And obviously, by any means, we do know baseball is a hard sport, obviously. We just call it how we see it. You know, we're not analysts or anything. We're not too hard on these guys. So for listeners out there, we obviously want these guys to succeed. But it is a definite, a definite um, concerning point for us, obviously. But we are still early in the season. And we just hope that Biggio and Semyon, who Semyon, uh, in my opinion, shouldn't be hitting leadoff now. And I sure hope to God he does not hit second when Springer comes back. And I feel like that's going to happen. But um, other than that, we'll hit up on the injuries right now. And so the Jays have been hit with a few injuries. I'd say that the injury bug has hit them pretty hard this year. So following are on the injured list for the Jays, Ross Stripling, Jordan Romano, Teoscar Hernandez, Julian Merriweather, Thomas Hatch, Nate Pearson, George Springer, Tyler Chatwet, Kirby Yates, and then also Patrick Murphy. So I dare you guys to say that without taking a breath. I bet you can't. Um, but so Ross Stripling, we haven't heard anything on him. Obviously, was scratched from his last start. Jordan Romano, good news, just a minor tweak. I think it was Roller Neuritis, something like that. He should be back for April 25th. Oscar should be back on Friday. Julian Merriweather, we don't know what's up with him, especially with his injury pass. Definitely a little bit concerning. Thomas Hatch has been progressing well. Nate Pearson should be back early May for sure, so that will be exciting. Then Tyler Chatwood also will be back, I believe, April 25th. And George Springer should be back um, uh, on the Friday against the Rays as well. So, James, I'm going to pose you an interesting question Obviously, injuries are a bit concerning, but it's better to have them early on than later on. But I'll let you play manager for a second. Who gets sent down when these guys get back? Because we have a lot of roster decisions to make. Obviously, I'll let you do the talking, but there are some real um, obvious answers here and maybe even some big money moves to be made with a certain guy on the team. That's <laughs> big money. We know exactly what we're talking about. We said we wouldn't bring him up, but we got he's got to poke his ugly <laughs> face in the mess. Um, I don't. I gotta look at the roster now to have a, have an idea. You know, it's sad. I think is Anthony Castro gonna be the guy to go down? I mean, he was brought up because of one of the injuries, but he's been great. He's on the taxi like, squad, so it's easy for him to get sent down or get abused right. by that system. Right. So I can see that one happening. Uh, Post Malone. Oh, Post Malone. Excuse me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Amps. Yeah. Joel Piamps would probably end up going down as well. Zoic for sure. Well, the way he's been pitching, I mean, other than that one start against the Yankees, yeah, he's been he's been horrendous. Um, other than that, though, and maybe, maybe Palacios, you know, when when guys like Springer come back, I'm keeping I'm come- keeping I'm keeping Palacios over JD Davis. Really, that speed think, aspect think, of Jonathan Davis, really. I think I think man, I think that probably keep two outfielders over Espinal, knowing them, especially with the injury concerns, so. Yeah, do I, don't, I, I don't want them to, to, to screw around with Espinal too much because you can clearly see the guy could play. And hell, why can't he play third base? Yeah. Right? At least until Teoscar Hernandez comes back, right? I'm assuming that's just a couple games here against the Red Sox. But damn it, give Espinal the start at third and put Kevin Biggio in a normal spot. That's just, I don't know. Uh, whether it's right field, because I think he looks, he looks fine out there in right field and Teoscar will be playing there and he was playing there now. Palacios. So I'm okay with putting a Kevin Bijou there in right field, but now the, the uh, roster moves are hard, especially when there's so many guys coming off at once. I think you mentioned like three of them. I think it's Chatwood, uh, Romano, and uh, oh shoot, Teoscar Hernandez all coming off on the Friday. So it's uh, it's 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 and gonna Chatwood. be what's that? Chatwood. Right. Okay. Well, either way, like chatting is Chatwood, Romano, and and, and Teoscar Hernandez are really just waiting for their time to be. They're healthy and ready to go. So that's that's the huge positive that you're going to get a bunch of guys back at once. But a guy like Joel Joel Piams, I think, is an easy one you can send down. I think that's he hasn't really done a whole lot as the RA's nice. Oh, he's only one three five. It's only thrown six innings. Right? And it's not high leverage innings. And I think the one <laughs> inning that was a high leverage inning, he gave up a home run to Salvador Perez. Am I correct? I could be wrong. Actually, it was, I think it was the walk off. Yeah, he gave up the walk-off home run to Sal Perez, the only big inning he threw. Mm. So I think that's an easy move. I think Palacios would be an easy move for them to make. Um, you know, you, you could look at you could look at uh, what is it, Anthony Castro as well. So th- th- those guys will probably end up going down. It's gonna be what's gonna be really interesting though is when this team gets to full health and you have some really tough roster moves, like you mentioned, a Jonathan Davis might be tough. You, you keep that fifth outfielder. 
you know, or, you know, and that's the case, then Palacios will have already gone down. So uh, it's going to be really interesting how they, how they work this roster once these guys start coming back. Absolutely. And, you know, they might have a trade up their sleeves. Like we got Jason Gurley, I believe, in May, early May of 2016. And we certainly could use some bullpen help there. So maybe a guy like a Jonathan Davis could be on his way out if we don't have any space for him going forward. Obviously, um, it's nice to have guys with speed, with a good glove, but he hasn't really shown anything of, of a bat to honestly have consistent playing time. Obviously, it's hard, I, though. It's hard, it's hard as a bench guy you know, to, to, to go out there what, once every like four days and, and then say, hey, go face like Garrett Cole. Hey, okay, okay, I'll try. But like, it's not easy for a bench guy. So it, it's so hard to be a mainstay in the big leagues. And for Jonathan Davis, man, other than that one home run that he hit, he was laser beam, 107 miles an hour. Other than that one hit, he's had a tough uh, time for sure in the limited time. I don't know about you, man, but I don't think the Jays have ever had a good fourth outfielder per se. Like maybe Ezekiel Carrera. uh... Yeah, yeah, I would definitely say him. I would definitely say him. He had the speed aspect. He had a good glove, even though he didn't have a brain in the field half the time. (laughs) But uh, he had speed. He, you know, he was he was a decent hitter. It got contact. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd give Zeke that, that fourth outfield spot. He was, he was a really solid fourth outfielder. Where the heck is that guy now? Like, uh, He's playing in some know. Mexican league. Yeah, well, it's crazy. Oh, he was very good. Oh. And Billy McKinney's like six for seven with the Brewers this season, so I don't know how the hell he's hitting. And then okay, well. Derek Fisher is hurt again with the Brewers. He's oh, on the video. <laughs> Maybe someone threw at him again. <laughs> he has a hamstring tightness. Well, maybe I, threw, someone threw it in his hammy. I don't know. Yeah, but there's definitely going to be some interesting roster moves, to say the least. I hope they keep guys like Tommy Malone. They're definitely going to need guys in the bullpen that can give you a few innings. It's going to be interesting how it plays out, and maybe the G's have a trade or even a signing. I know Shane Green has been brought up a few times, which I'd, I'd be open to. Obviously, Jeremy Jeffers is still in the open market. So we'll see how it plays out. But in my opinion, I think the G's will wait closer to the deadline before making a move. So we're just going to head on over to the mailbag and check the mailbag on this Monday rest day evening. The first question comes in from Jay's Talk with Jay. Um, I know Sheldon has done a few interviews with him, a good yeah. guy, also in our fantasy draft. Um, he says, do we think it's time for the strike zone to have some some kind of tech involved and maybe an automated system? Because we saw a pretty, pretty bad outing these few past days in KC. I think no. To be honest, it's not really about the robot umpires or whatever the heck, whatever they would end up doing. Just for the fact, like, I, it, it takes away the realism yeah. of the sport, right? You can't turn around and yell at the ump anymore. You're yelling at a flipping robot. Like, it just you, you can't do anything about it. And what if the robot malfunctions, right? What if there's an error in the system? Then you literally can't play a game of baseball because the, they. I think you, you can't do that. I just think it's been in baseball for so damn long, and to 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 make that or to make it so techy, no. The fact that they have it on TV, they have the box, they have the, all that stuff. That's good enough. But when it comes to real gameplay, no, the umpire's got to be there as much as they can be horrendous at times. That's just that's just the sport, man. That's just the realism of it. Are they going to take away the NBA referees? No, but they're horrendous. Yeah. But you know they're not going to can't take those guys away. So I just think I think no, I'm I'm not for the techie robot-y stuff for, for strike zones in the MLB. How is LeBron going to get to the line anymore with a shot oh, clock control? <laughs> well, he can't yell and complain at somebody. You know, he's nah. yelling at a robot, and the robot's going to flick him off, and that's about that, right? He can't do anything about it. At least we know Charlie Montoya won't, it won't affect no. his ejections because, no. you know, he doesn't really talk to the umpires anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so moving on to the another question is, Who's gonna finish the better the year with a better season, Bo or Vladdy? Cool, that's tough, man. That's really tough. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Vladdy. I mean, Bo's shown all his career that he can flat out hit, but we're seeing a new beast in Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Man, the like you talked about it earlier on, how Bo's strikeout numbers are through the roof, and he's he's swinging miss a lot. Yeah, the average is nice and. And he's, he, has, he, he, he either has a great game or he's, like, horrendous in a game. For Vladdy, 
you've seen it consistently. The approaches at the plate are almost all the time fantastic. And um, I'm, I'm going to go with Vladdy. I'm going to go out. I mean, a lot of people are going to say Bo Bichette because he hasn't really failed at all in his career, but I'm going I'm to stick with Vladdy the way he's playing. Yeah, I think Vladdy is the more riskier move in terms of we never know if he's going to have a cold streak. And we know Bo's been pretty consistent throughout his career, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say Vladdy for sure. So we're going to fly through these before we wrap it up and says, person asks, how long until we have a different leadoff hitter? And this is an interesting question. Uh, Okay, well, it's going to be a simple answer. Uh, Mo, it's a question, really. When does Springer come off the aisle? Uh, they're saying Tampa Bay weekend, so it could be Friday, it could be Saturday, but most definitely he's going to be back. Go. He's going to be back before the twenty seventh, so that's your answer. But yep, James, do you want Semyon to hit second, or do you think he should nope. be bumped down to fifth or sixth? Nope. Honestly, man, I, if I had my perfect lineup, I would go definitely Springer, uh, Bo. Uh, you could either flip flop Tasker Hernandez or Vladdy at three and four, five. Yeah, I know I'm going to no miss Grichik, guys. no Grichik. No, I'm going to go Gurriel at five because I don't care if he's had a slow start to his his year. He will hit. We've seen it his entire career. He had a slow start. Was it last season he had a slow start? Or was it the year before he had a slow start? And then he got sent down. Got, he flat, flat out raked the rest of the season. The guy can flat out hit. He's my number five. And you can, sure, you can say Simeon at six, maybe. Yeah, I'm okay yeah. with him putting him at six or seven, maybe. And, Les- and and you have Telez and Biggio, right? <laughs> Who are rounding out the lineup. And, they, and then one of your catchers at the end of that. So, yeah, I, I think I think Springer's my number one. you got to have him lead off. That's where he has been his best. And the guy in the leadoff spot right now isn't cutting it. So it's literally an easy transition, Springer guy, no doubt. And talking about this lineup is really making me how, realize how deep it is. You know, kind of make yeah. me wonder how maybe the offensive struggles aren't too big of an issue when these guys come back and obviously Semyon has let off with the A's in the past and I think Charlie's using that data that he got his robots that he uses <laughs> to manage the game to really construct his lineup card but uh, Semyon's not a very good I mean his, his swing is pretty good but he pops up or just it's yeah. a long ball doesn't really he works the count but he always ends up going in a strikeout or a pop out if he's not getting home run so definitely not a prototypical um leadoff guy and if we really want him to maximize his production i think fifth or sixth maybe even seventh is really good for him so next question comes from daniel tiller who's been a, a constant um, question asker in these um response uh, in these question drop box so we do appreciate him he says who makes sense as a starting your trade target for the jays uh the First, uh, Daniel, right? Daniel. It was Daniel, yeah. First off, Daniel, thanks for the question because you, like you said, a consistent question asker. Um, that's really hard. I think you wait until you know what teams are not in the playoffs and you know what teams are selling. And then you kind of go from there. We could sit here and say, yeah, you know, Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray, but who knows? The Reds could be amazing. And then, you know, they were, they're definitely not going to trade those guys because they made that play in last year, but complete, oh, that was a, that was a rough time they had in that postseason. But, you know, they're not just going to trade these guys for nothing. You know, I think you got to look at the teams that are going to be down and out of the playoffs. And then you go from there. I don't think there's one guy right now that I look at and like, I want him. Like, I love a Sonny Gray. I'd love a Luis Castillo, no doubt. But, are the Jays brass willing to make that move and willing to trade away the prospects as well? You know, are the breads willing to trade those guys away? And we don't know. So it's all, it's all kind of a wait and see game in my opinion, closer to the deadline to see what teams are in and what teams are out. Yeah, for sure. And just in a blink of an eye, we could have some interesting trade targets that are rentals that could be potentially available for the Jays. You know, teams like the Braves that had slow starts, the Cubs, Kyle Hendricks, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That could be an mm-hmm. interesting name right there. So definitely think to watch, I guess, maybe closer to June, I'd say. Right now, it's really yeah. early. Uh, I guess this question is for you, James, specifically. Do you like the Leafs? Oh. Huh. I mean, I try to. Like, I mean, they, 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 they make me cry, but I, I try to love them. 
You know, I'll be an, always a diehard blue and white fan, no matter how miserable I can get. But, um, yes, I do love the Leafs as much as it pains me at times to be a Leaf fan. You know, if you're not a diehard fan, then uh, you don't feel the pain. But I feel the pain. I what's thought you were a Rangers question? fan. What's the next? Right, I thought you were a Rangers get fan. Get that out of my face. What's the next question? Uh, most disappointing player so far. <laughs> uh, disappointing. Uh, I mean, I mean, we could easily say Danny Jansen, but I mean, he's not really. It's kind of what we expected, right? We all kind of expected him to not hit. Um, I'd say Marcus Simeon. I mean, we heard Over great things. <laughs> Bijo stuff I understand though. I understand why he's struggling. With with Marcus Simeon, you know, you gave the one year eighteen million dollar deal. Yeah, he had an off season last year, but it was only fifty games. So you don't look at that. You look back to his last year, he's flipping MVP candidate. And you hear the Oakland A fans are like really upset that they lose it, lose him and whatnot. And we're like, huh, damn, we just got a really good player. And he has been, you know, subpar with the bat. He's been fine defensively, but he's been subpar with the bat. And I, you know, so far. He's been the guy, to, in my opinion, that's that's um, really struggled. Yeah, we don't pay eighteen million over here for defense. That's that's definitely no no. No. Um, Didi Gregorius, who the Jays were in on, is like got like fourteen, and he's hitting like three hundred. So hindsight's twenty twenty. But even Justin Turner, who is a borderline MVP candidate for the Dodgers, got like a your deal like 30 million or something i don't know maybe got overpaid but he's looked pretty good so hindsight is 2020 but maybe simeon is the guy that he was before 2019 where he was close to what like a 750 ops you know maybe 2019 mm-hmm. was just an outlier we're just gonna have to accept that take it as it is and you know it's just a one-year deal so you can't be mad at it at the end of it and if if he's really really bad he can definitely chip in as a contract piece as a for like a team that's rebuilding, maybe has a pitcher that could be interesting as well if the Jays tend to move from him. So last two questions before we wrap it up. Um one of them's from our guy Steve, and then one of it's Steve. from um Luis that we also know. So oh, yeah, yeah. Luis asks, um, is Montoya's job in jeopardy if the team has has like an under five hundred record at the All Star Week? There's so many, you know, factors behind that I, I think for one the guy was manager name man, like finalist for manager of the year last year as one thing but it was in a short season you can all the asterisks you want but he still was um if the jays are as injured as they are right now how can you blame the guy like how can you say it's his fault that we're losing these games when you have like nine guys on the injured list or whatever the heck the number is you know you can't blame charlie for that now if this team it, it, it seems like like they're starting to get healthy now so if they get all their regulars back and you know by by the trade deadline or by that time they're still struggling then you might start thinking about it but i don't think his i don't think his job's in jeopardy yet i don't think we've seen enough from charlie you got to remember right what has he seen what is charlie montoya coach for the blue jays he coached a 2019 rebuild he coached a 2020 what 50 60 game schedule and he's coached 16 games of this season so like the amount of nonsense that he has dealt with, not even a full regular year, you got to give the guy an opportunity. Yes, I, is he going to make questionable moves? Of course, every manager is going to make questionable moves that you don't understand, and they, they screw up sometimes. But more often than not, you know, he's done the right move. Like when people get mad at him for throwing out TJ Zoik, what was the other option? He didn't really have one, you know, because of the injuries, because he, ha- because he used Olis on the uh, – on the uh, on the first game of the doubleheader, and I understand why he used them because you want to make sure you want to seal that deal. You don't want to give them any breathing room. I get that. So I don't think his job's in jeopardy yet. Um, but if 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 by the trade deadline, you know, we're kind of hovering or not playing well at all, then you might start talking about it. But I don't think just yet. For sure, I agree with you. Honestly, that 2019, you can just throw that out the window just because mm-hmm. I really just judge a manager based on the players he has. I know I can talk about this NBA. You know, certain Eric Spolstra is a great coach, but those 2014, 2015 years that he had a really bad record, even that 2018 year wage last year, it wasn't the team wasn't very good. And I know Jays have some expectations this year, but it's the first year. So I'll give him his final year this year. And if next year the Jays are really bad, 
and he makes some questionable moves, then <laughs> definitely they're going to have to put his stuff for him. But right now, okay, from the past, just because it's his first full season under a group of good players, so you really have to give him that one shot. Plus, we're going to have to see him in the postseason if the Jays do make it. I know last year's Mickey Mouse postseason doesn't count. I don't, I don't even consider that a no, <laughs> race series. No, really, no, 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 not even. Hated that close. series. And, uh, and you mentioned Eric Spolstra. Uh, that's the same thing with Raptor fans right now with Nick Nurse. You know, they're all calling for his head. And I'm like, are you guys actually that stupid? Like, you just won a 2019 championship. Yes, you got Kawhi and blah, blah, blah. But he still coaches damn hard out and won you a championship. And last year, without Kawhi and Danny Green, your record was damn good. You lose Ibaka and Gasol, and yet you have a down year this season. Players aren't performing very well, and they want the coach. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And uh, we can't really talk about NBA too much here as it is a baseball no. podcast, but Nick Nurse definitely is doing what he can with his players. I know Chris Boucher has been popping off. Same with oh, Barry yeah. Trent Jr. So he's good at developing his players and giving them time. That's definitely interesting. So we'll wrap it up with a question from our very own Steve. And he asks, Dave, what former Blue Jays player will you interview next? And I guess, Steve, for you, you have to find out. Ooh, the next yeah. edition of Extra Innings presented by Blue Jays Center, hosted by James. Probably Wednesday or Tuesday. Definitely going to try to pull an overtime person like Fred Lewis. But no, we're, but we're, we're going to get funny. That guy was, he was great. <laughs> yeah, he was. He's a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. I I just wish Travis Snyder would respond after he said he would come on. But <laughs> uh, world, this world isn't perfect. All right. No, it's not. So that'll do it for this episode. You know, we thank you guys for watching and listening to wherever you're listening. We are back on Spotify. So if you guys listen to your podcast on Spotify, there you guys go. We're on pod- Spotify now. So um, we thank you guys for listening, and we'll be back here probably next week. Hopefully, the Jays some winning baseball so we can have a more positive episode and hopefully guys like Biggio and Simeon step it up so we can talk about other things. So thanks for watching guys and Rob will be back next week. Regular scheduled programming and we'll see you guys tomorrow on the post game stream if you guys watch over there. And thanks James for joining and go Jays. Alright go Jays.